you're really looking for a mutual overlap of services and needs. And that overlap should be pretty significant, if not 100%. And in that case, if you think of it that way, you're actually in a position just as easily to walk away from a sale if it doesn't fit, if it's not a good fit for you. And so, you know, if you can get your mindset around the idea that you're really trying to solve a problem. Welcome to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we discuss what it takes to create a sustainable long-term online business in today's fast-moving environment. We talk with industry experts and freelancers alike to find out what it takes to build and manage a location-independent business. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast, the show where we talk about how you can carve out your slice of the digital economy. Today's guest is Brendan McAdams from Kinetics.com. Brendan is a sales specialist with a lot of experience, a wealth of knowledge in the B2B space. And in this episode, we talk about some of the tips, strategies, and some actionable methods where freelancers could up their sales game, take it to that next level. Make sure you tune in, leave us a review on iTunes, follow on Spotify, and thank you for, for listening in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. I'm excited to bring you today's guest. He's got a lot of high energy and a lot of knowledge and experience. His name is Brendan McAdams. He's joining us from kinetics.com. Brendan, welcome to the show. Welcome, man. Thanks, Adam. Love to be here. Thank you. So, Brendan, you are a man who works in the area of sales. So I'm very interested to talk with you about this because it's an area that a lot of people can have difficulty with, you know, maybe feel some imposter syndrome, not like the kickbacks that they can get. But uh, before we get too far into it, I understand you're joining us from Baltimore over in the USA. Can you just give us a little snapshot of uh, who you are and what and who you serve? Yeah, I've been in sales for, uh, uh, let's just say, a long time. Uh, almost exclusively in enterprise and business-to-business sales with larger, you know, larger accounts, and in telecom, and then um, financial services, and finally in healthcare. And then about ten years ago, I been in a couple different little startups and just decided I think I want to go out on my own. And and so ten years ago, I started out on my own freelancing as a freelance salesperson. And so that's kind of informed, you know, what I've done for the last ten years. This is an interesting one. So a freelance salesperson. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that would look like? Would you work with lots of companies, one company? Like, you know, paint a picture for me. Yeah, and it is a little non-traditional, uh, but it's, I mean, when people think of outsourcing or hiring someone as a freelancer, they think, you know, HR or accounting or maybe legal or, or graphic artists. There are a lot of those, but, you know, I get hired oftentimes, or in the past, I've always gotten hired uh as a kind of an extension of their sales team or as a person to open a new market for them, or they can't afford a full-time salesperson or the, all the lo- loaded costs that come with it. I've been hired as a kind of a hired gun, if you will, for a number of different companies, at least in the o- outset, that's usually what, where I start. And then, and then the role, once I get in and hired, it oftentimes expands to include marketing and strategy and messaging. And in a few cases, I've been kind of a fractional chief revenue officer. So there are a lot of opportunities in freelancing for salespeople. And in a lot of cases, that's a better avenue because you have actually have more control over your comp plan and your, your customers and your product. 
sales is one of those industries where like, you know, some people love it and are good at it and maybe are motivated by the money and other people are maybe scared of it because of how it's been portrayed, uh, you know, like in movies and stuff like that. It's just like, it, it feels crazy, a lot, lot of pressure. So, you know, can, can you talk about the sort of companies who would hire freelance salespeople? Because you know, even I know having run a like a web design business, like having that person who can deal with the inbound leads, who you trust, who's professional, who could sell the product. Like there's a lot of benefit to it. And um, I, it's one of those areas where I don't think a lot of people have considered as freelancers, you know, to, to work to work in freelance sales, especially for like digital products, tech products, software products. There's definitely opportunities, I would feel. Yeah. The thing about in this day and age, everything happens so much more quickly. And so someone comes along with some new product and they've got a few customers perhaps, or they're or getting ready to have a few customers or, or they're starting to really scale and they can't afford the training effort and the ramp up. And they, they need someone who's familiar with that space and, and all the nuances of it. And that's where kind of a freelance salesperson can really come in handy. You know, you all of a sudden you've got a new product, you've blown up because of some great marketing campaign and you need someone who can come on board and help execute on a on a sales strategy. You know, freelance salespeople are great for that sort of thing because there's no the ramp up time is nil. You've got experience. You know how to negotiate deals. Those things all kind of work to the benefit of a of an employer or someone that's contracting you. So can we talk a little bit about the craft of sales, like you're saying? So when you are somebody who is, let's say, a freelance sales consultant, and if you were to look at this. The reason why somebody would hire you is, like you're mentioning, you have the experience, you understand the sales process, the negotiation stages, the contractual part of it. Where would you suggest people look to learn the craft of sales? And what are the key areas that you think are, are most important for somebody? Well, I mean, I wrote a book called Salescraft that's exactly about just the fundamentals of sales. Like, and, and what I think a lot of people do when they think sales is number one, they become intimidated because it, they, they think of it as something that's really, you're forcing someone to buy something, you're tricking them into it. And, and it really doesn't have to be that way at all. In fact, with any kind of complex sale that takes more than a, a few minutes to sell, that doesn't even work very well because people are going to figure you out. So a much better way to come at it is to understand some, just some basic fundamentals of how to sell and the first one I would say is it's your, you, you really have to get your mindset in the right place. And that is you're really looking for a mutual overlap of services and needs. And that overlap should be pretty significant, if not 100%. And in that case, if you think of it that way, you're actually in a position just as easily to walk away from a sale if it doesn't fit, if it's not a good fit for you. And so, you know, if you can get your mindset around the idea that you're really trying to solve a problem, and if you can look at the situation, the sales situation, and figure out, you know, I can't really solve this problem, I'm not a good fit for them, then you ought to step away from that and move on and look for a better opportunity. And that is a liberating thing for a freelancer or for anyone that's on their own. You know, if you can walk away from a deal and realize, ah, this isn't a good fit and it's not going to be a good fit for me, over the long haul, you're actually saving yourself a lot of time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of hassle too. But like you're saying, it, it's approaching it with a different mentality, like approaching it with the mentality of, I am trying to help you to solve your problem. You know, th this software, this solution, this product, this course, whatever it is that you're, you're, you're offering them in terms of skills, 
that you're trying to help them solve a problem, take them from A to B. It's not a bad thing that you're selling it to them. Ultimately, you know, they need it and therefore you're fulfilling their ability to, uh, to solve for that problem. So you're literally helping them achieve their goals if you do this right. I mean, if you're going about it in the right way and you and this this there takes a certain amount of rigor on your part to be able to say, you know, in a cold and calculating way, I can't really help these people. Right. I can't help them. And if, if that's the case, the best thing you can do is walk away and maybe even suggest them to somebody else and, you know, recommend somebody else. Nothing creates more credibility for yourself than being able to say, I, I can't do this, but these people can and the other thing is, there are customers that you're going to run into that are a bad fit, and you don't want them. You're better off if someone else gets that customer. They're overly demanding. They don't want. They don't want to pay whatever your a fair market rate is. Whatever the reason, you want to be able to walk away from those. And that is sales, just as much as signing a contract and closing a deal is. Because you can spend a lot of time and energy, and like you're saying, if you take on the wrong type of clients or sign bad deals, let's say. It's just going to be a massive time suck and you could end up, you know, just wasting a lot of mental energy too, you know, and it's draining, you know, like when you get caught in that and if somebody feels like they were missold, it would be a draining experience for them and for you to then try and counter it and everything else. You're better to have that. And I guess this is almost like a muscle, you know, like something that you learn the more you do with that, like you start to see, ah, no, nah, this isn't going to work out or this is the perfect fit. You know, let's move forward, you know, but I imagine so- some things like that would only come with experience. And that's where, you know, developing the craft of sales will be helpful for you. It takes a little courage is probably a strong word, but it takes a certain amount of fearlessness in a sense to be able to say at some point, you know, to the customer, you know, I don't think this is a good fit. Or one of the sales techniques, if you will, that I I talk about is the importance of being able to look at a deal, a potential customer relationship and figure out where is it going to fail? How could it go wrong? How could the sale die? And then bring that up in your sales call. Hey, you know what? Here's where this is not going to fit. This is the problem I see. And if you take it to the customer that way, one of two things is going to happen. They're going to go, oh, you're absolutely right. We can't do anything about this. Or, and this happens more often than you think, they think about it and they go, oh, no, that's not going to be a problem. And here's why. And now they're on the same side of the table as you are trying to solve the problem together. And now you know that you've got someone that you can work with because they're they're reasonable and they're flexible and they their expectations are are not outsized. You have to do it. And at some level, you kind of have to have the confidence to try and make that leap. But once you do and see what happens, it's quite liberating. Yeah, I think it's important too, because you're putting your cards out at the table. Like, so, you know, whether the product or service or software, whatever it is that you're selling, like it's not going to meet every need of everyone all the time. Sometimes it's going to be, give, especially if it's software, you know, like software is almost always, look, it might meet 85%, but there's that 15% it's not going to do, but it solves everything else. So you need to make the decision here and you're better to just put all the cards on the table. It can do X, Y, Z, can't do that. How important is that? Or, or are we, should we draw the line here and say, forget about it? <laughs> you know? That's exactly right, Adam. I mean, that's exactly right. At some point, if you can say, hey, listen, we do all these things. We don't do this feature. Is that a deal breaker? Do you really need that? Or here, we don't do this and here's why. And they have to make a decision. And there are no perfect products out there. And one of the things that's, that's fascinating is most times, People aren't really ultimately buying on price or even functionality. They're buying based on, oh, I have confidence that this person or this company 
is going to go on this journey with me and they're not going to let me down. They're going to help make sure that this is successful. And that is a much bigger part of the importance of the sales process than the price or a feature. In fact, I think McKinsey did, a stu- I have to find, dig it up, but McKinsey did a stu- study a while ago, the big consulting company, and they found that customer service was a twice as likely a purchasing driver to price or features. If you can figure out, and by the way, sales is a, a big part of sales is service. So if you can figure out how to make your sale a service and be of service to your customer, you're much more inclined and to make that sale and the sale is going to be, end up being a much better sale. I love this. So I'd like to kind of unpack a couple of things there from what you're saying. So, I mean, confidence is a huge part of this. And look, no matter what you're selling, you're going to get no's, you're going to get yeses. There's ultimately, before the call I had hit on, you know, I, I remember reading a book in the past and like it was basically saying you have to think about it like almost like a conversion rate on a website. You know, for every 10 people you talk to, a trail of a demo, one might buy. Like, yeah, and, and if you're getting disheartened by the first seven no's or if you're taking it personally, it's not really going to work for you. You have to think of it in, in the numbers. Like it literally has to be a numbers game. It's like, okay, for every 100 people I talk to, I get X demos and that. Now, you hit there on building the trust with the person and have them having the faith and the confidence in you to be able to deliver on your product, service or offering. And that ultimately will help drive the decision. And I, I'd like to kind of tie that into freelancing because, you know, people who are doing freelance services, you know, be that freelance sales, writing, web design, SEO, whatever, all of the things. Like if there's any amount of areas where you can become a freelancer and that's become even more apparent now because of, you know, the last 12 months and all the fun that's happened there. So I like, I'd kind of like to talk, talk to that a little bit. Like, you know, what, what do you see in, in these people? Cause I know you've worked with a lot of founders and a lot of startups. So like, what are some of the things you've seen? What, what are some of the strategies you've seen work to help get over this or, or to how to think about it or reframe it differently? Like, what do you think? First of all, I mean, rejection in itself is really, first of all, it's easy to say this, but you really cannot take it personally. It, it is a confirmation it's basically the way I look at it is it's information. I've been turned down and here's why. And that's actionable for me. Now I can, I can use that information and then do some course correction. If it happens of a lot, then the thing you have to ask yourself is, am I talking the wrong people? Am I aiming my arrow at the wrong target, so to speak? So what I would do is I would look, I would go back and look at some of your customers who have been most successful with you. And then what sorts of characteristics do they have in common? And do you want to continue to have those sorts of customers? If, if you like that cohort of customers that you've got and you're successful with them, then you have to go back and figure out how to find more of those people and then make sure that the messaging that you're sharing is refined and, and focused on the drivers that make those new customers want to choose you. And that, I guess, gets to another point, And that is, I know this is, sounds terribly obvious, but when you're talking to customers, it is always about them. Everybody thinks about things in terms of themselves. And so whatever you're offering it is, it has to be in terms that they understand, that resonate with them, and that are focused on them. And if you can do that, then you're going to over time be able to understand and surface you know, the, the drivers that, uh, that cause them to want to make a decision to choose you that makes sense but sometimes like you're saying the things that maybe are the most obvious are 
often the things people don't do, <laughs> you know, or people like to overcomplicate things, you know, but like what you're saying there, like going back, looking at your best customers, you know, what is it that's relatable about each of these? Like what makes them successful? Why are they, what are their traits? And then, uh, you know, looking for more of those people rather than like you're saying, if you know, you can be banging on the wrong door at some point, you might have to look at, is this the wrong door or is my pitch wrong? Like, or whatever it might be, but maybe, you know, it's just simply the wrong door. Right. Sometimes it's simply timing. You talk to, if you talk to someone at the wrong time, they can't buy and no amount of coercion or effort is going to change that because there are circumstances that are make it impossible for them to buy. But if you treat that situation as, oh, this is, that's fine. No problem. Uh, you know, thank you for this. Can you tell me why? They'll share. They'll, most of the time they'll tell you why. And if you have me messaging problems, you'll figure that out because of their answers or there may be a timing. And if you, you know, in a lot of cases, someone will come back and hire you three months later, six months later, because you handled the situation in the way that it should have been handled. You know, with any complex sale, I think it's, it's essentially next to impossible to force someone into buying something that they don't want. And even, and if they do, you're going to come to regret it because you know, I'm of the opinion that sales are never really over. You can get a contract signed, but if you don't get them executed, if they're not happy, you've really kind of done yourself a disservice because it's going to work against you in the marketplace. It's going to work against your psyche. It's a strategy that just doesn't play out very well. Yeah. How much of, let's say on the, part, on the buyer's end, like how much of it do you feel is based on emotion or versus logical? Like when people are making their purchasing decision, like how well, I'm, I'm going to answer this. Uh, my expertise is limited solely to B2B stuff. So I, uh, you know, consumer sales are a whole nother problem or opportunity, right? I mean, it just, I don't, but in the business to business world, the biggest obstacle to sales for me, and I say this over and over again, is one of two things, and they're kind of the same. One is risk aversion and the status quo. And that is most of the time, I'm not worried about a competitor. I'm worried about them just doing the same thing because it's less scary uh, it's already working and anything new has risk associated with it. And ultimately that, that there's a, an emotional component to that. And then there's a logical component. The big thing that I talk about in business to business sales and selling to enterprises is you have got to address the implementation success component of the sale early and often, because if you can get someone to understand that you're going to make sure that that journey from where they are to where they're headed and that the goal, that journey, while fraught with some risk, all that risk is figured out. You know, it's like sailing across the Atlantic. You know, people do it all the time. There's risk. But if you put all sorts of systems in place and practice and do, you know, have, the, have everything in place, you can sail across the Atlantic and you know you're going to get to the other side and you've addressed every possible outcome. And you're showing that you have the experience in doing it. You've done it before. You've chartered the waters. You know where not to go. <laughs> and, you know, what are the right components? You know, like, cause, I mean, I work in Shopify as well, and I deal with large enterprise accounts. And, like, you know, it's, Shopify is only one piece. And, and, you know, and then you have the inventory management systems, warehouse management systems, email marketing provider. You know, like, Shopify is one piece in an engine. You know, there's merchants on Shopify who do a billion a year, you know, and they trust Shopify to, to do that. And, um, you know, it, it's just interesting to hear you say it, to explain it that way, because, you know, our sales team, I would imagine, and I guess I know, haven't spoken to them, like they're talking about people moving from Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, Demandware, these legacy enterprise softwares, you know, moving to the new guy. Well, well you know, it's, it's the newer guy like Shopify. So and, and I, a lot of what you're saying there would be 
part of, I would imagine, their sales. I can't speak for them, but, you know, the risk aversion that it that it's able to handle it, you know, that, that they are ultimately, and that's B2B sales, that's B2B software sales, you know, so where consumer is like, I want to be prettier, I want to be skinnier, I want to be... You know what I mean? Like whatever. So like that's that's like emotional buy-in, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Like oh, I I have this. So no, that was nicely explained. I, I, I appreciate that because um it was something I just wanted to touch on, you know. So I just want to circle back because a lot of our audience, a lot of them freelance or freelance or small business owners, you know, a lot of them offering digital marketing services or services in the in that digital space. So what sort of advice or tips would you have for people who are in you know, the digital services industries when it comes to, you know, making themselves look good, being more efficient at sales, being better at sales? Like, what could you kind of throw out there for them? Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time lately uh, learning Twitter. It's been fascinating to me because one of the things I've, an epiphany I've had about Twitter is I can have a lot of conversations with people that are in my particular area very quickly on using Twitter. It's really remarkable. They'll tell you a lot and you can learn a lot and you can find out what people are thinking and what they like and what they don't like and so forth. And so Twitter is just, uh, I'm using that as an example. The ability to have conversations with people can be really illuminating. And so, you know, everyone wants to put a web page up or a landing page and, and work on their copy. And by the way, those are all important things. But before you do all that, or when you, as you're doing that, try and have individual conversations with a, at least some number of your target customers, because you're going to learn a lot of things. And one of the things I've learned, in fact, I learned this pretty much from copywriters, is that when copywriters and marketing people talk to people, they want to know the language that is being used by the folks that they're selling to and the terminology. And maybe this is really obvious, but it wasn't necessarily obvious to me. And that is you want to speak in the terms that they use. Like in sales, they always say sales velocity. But if I talk to a customer, I would never use the phrase sales velocity because it's kind of ridiculous. And in the same way, whatever your market is, that's one of the things I would strongly suggest people do is make, have conversations with people because they will tell you, they want to tell you because they want to be heard. They like to give advice. And one of the things I, this is one of the takeaways that I just love this. If you do your job well enough at coming up with a product, people are going to want to buy it. I mean, they want to buy it for two reasons. They want to buy it because you did a great job and you solved a problem and they're happy that someone did. And at some level, some psychological level, people like to reward others for a job well done. It gives them their own satisfaction. The other thing is, and this may be more important, and that is you, you feel smart. When I make a purchase, and I'm sure everybody is the same way, or most people the same way, you make a purchase that's really good, you know, and it really helps you out. Damn, you feel smart about it. And so you don't mind paying. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and especially when you're hiring somebody that helps you. Like like I'm saying, a lot of the listeners to this will be people who offer services, you know, and they're helping people to build websites, do Facebook ads, build e-commerce stores, do YouTube. Like, you know, they're, they're helping. And these are technical skills, uh, usually, that the other person simply doesn't have in a lot of cases. And yeah, like you're saying, it, it makes them feel you feel good, feel smart. You know, that person looks really good. And, and I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, like to speak in the language that they would converse in and how they would describe it. You know, ultimately, when they land on your website, whenever you launch it or you're on your LinkedIn or wherever it is, Twitter, Twitter bio, you know, I mean, I read yours before this. Like, obviously, it's one of the places I would check people out to speak to the language of solving 
their problem. You know what I mean? Like to, to explain it in the language that they understand, because, you know, you can get too fancy, you can get too complicated or you can, you know, speak directly to them. Like ultimately you want, you want them to read it and think, and this is where the copywriters come in. Oh my God, he's speaking to me, you know, or, or she's speaking directly to me. They know exactly my problem. This is the person who's going to help me solve it. Yeah. And at some level, I mean, this is why freelancing solopreneur, this whole market makes so much sense. And that is I can do WordPress. I should not do WordPress. I can probably do some level of graphic arts, but I should not be doing it because anybody on here that's listening that does graphic arts is way more capable at it than I am. And I should, and the same with WordPress and same with so many other things, if I hire someone to do graphic arts work, they always do a better job and it always saves me time. And it always comes out, I get, I just, the results are better. And the people that are doing those sorts of things, you know, you have to appreciate that you're really solving a big problem for people. The one obstacle you have to overcome is that they can sort of do some of this th- stuff themselves, but really they shouldn't be because it takes two or three or four times as long and it just doesn't turn out as well. And it's it, like, there are just so many good reasons for freelancers to, to thrive. I, I hear what you're saying, you know, like you, you, you can do it yourself or you can figure it out, but sometimes you really shouldn't and you'll spend that much time doing it when you, you would have been far better suited to hiring. But also like, you know, and this is part of being a business owner, you know, whether you're a freelance anything or, you know, running a company is like, where is your time most valuable and most valuably spent? You know, should you be on a sales call where you're closing a new client or should you be messing about in Canva trying to make images for your Instagram? No, but like truthfully, but people can sometimes, they can feel comfortable in, I know me way around WordPress. Why would I hire somebody and pay them $10 when I can do it myself? But it's like, yeah, but in that hour, you could have, had two calls with a potential clients, which makes you, you know, two calls into your 10 to get another yes. Like you, you have to think about it, I think that way and not default to, because look, like, you know, we've talked about this. We've brought it up a few times. Sales deals with rejection head on. You have to kind of grow that callus, you know, like I look at my hands from all my pull-ups, like, you know, there's, there's a skin that needs to be built and toughened there on it. And everybody has to go through it. And it's not that, you're good or you're bad, like you're going to have yeses, you're going to have noes, timing's going to be off, might not be the right product for them, as you discussed. If you're not the right fit, it's good to realize that quickly so you can move on and not waste anybody's time either. So, One psychological perspective I would share on this subject, and that is, and this is going to sound perverse, but you want a certain amount of failure at the front end from a sales standpoint. You should, in a weird way, welcome those noes because it means you're getting closer to what you need to know to, to get to yes. And the worst thing that can happen to someone, in my opinion, not the worst, but I mean, certainly one of the things that's going to do you a disservice is to have success right out of the gate because then you don't know what failure's like in the beginning. Believe me, it's going to come up and sneak up on you and hit you hard. And then you're going to be in this position, you're going to be all soft and comfortable. And then all of a sudden you're going to run up against this. It's going to be deflating. A little misery early on, it can be a very valuable uh, experience. You know, anyone who has kids knows that this is also part of parenting, you know, like your kids don't win at everything. They have to have failures, learn to deal with it. It's kind of a little bit the same. Like, you know, when you go into business, you know, for yourself, like, yeah, you know, some stuff's going to happen. It's not always going to be clear sailing. And yeah, I imagine if it was clear sailing out the gate, it'd be harder to deal with. But I think, to be honest, you know, having spoke to 
hundreds of freelancers over the years. You know, some people slog it out. And I think the ones that realize that as a freelancer, you need to become a salesperson. Like you have to, because if you're not delivering on client work or if you're not working on, let's say like your own website or whatever, fair enough. But like even initially, I mean, I've seen people who don't even have websites, who have a LinkedIn or a terrible WordPress website. It doesn't matter. And they just make sales all day long because they don't care about their stupid website or their logo or whatever. And they're just like selling, you know, and, and then other people who have oh, spent six months and hundreds of euros and logo designs and fancy graphics and making videos and doing everything else. And they, ca- they can't sell diddly squat. There's something in that, you know, I mean, you can read out of that what you like, but it's a... Uh, you know, if you're a freelancer and you're off or you're running a business, a company, you know, doing B2B sales, you really have to master the craft of sales and understand it and, and explore it and find out, like you're saying, you know, understand who your customers are, you know, where, do, where the best customers are for you, how to identify when a sale is not the right sale for you. So you can move on confidently, you know, that you made the right decision. Um, so look, it's been a fascinating chat. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but look, we're, we're going to wrap up here. I'd like you to just kind of let people know where they can find you, connect with you online, and I'll make sure that there's links and everything in the show notes across all the platforms. Yeah, so I'm spending time on Twitter these days. So it's Brendan McAdams at Twitter, uh, you know, is on my Twitter account, and it'll be in the link, uh, I'm sure. And my website is uh, Kinetics with three eyes, K-I-I-N-E-T-I-C-S.com, Kinetics. I've got one book out called Salescraft, and I've got another book that's specific around freelance sales that I'm hoping should come out at the end of April. And so that'll be on the website, and and I'll have some sort of promotion. So anyone that uh, signs up early will get it at you know some sort of a early price. And that's it. And uh, by all means, my Twitter stuff and my blog posts are. You know, I talk a lot about B2B sales in particular. And then every now and then, uh, like I post an essay today about the Great British Breaking Show, but most of it's business. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, you got to mix it in there. No, look, Brendan, thank you. I appreciate it. I'll make sure, like I said, uh, link, link to everything and share it. You know, I definitely believe uh, I've always said this in all my episodes, you know, any freelancer, anyone running a business, you have to learn the craft of sales. Brendan, you've created, like you said, you have a book on that are kind of the basics, the fundamentals will be a good starting point. And then you have this upcoming book, which is specifically for freelance sales. You know, you come from a very experienced background. I'll link to the website. You know, everybody can see there's, you're very involved, it looks like, in the Baltimore community. You know, you, ha- you have a lot of experience with founders. Like, you know, there's plenty of links and interviews where people could listen to other podcast episodes around different topics if they wanted to, to do that. So thank you, Brendan. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. That was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you for listening to the Digital Nomad Cafe podcast. Head over to the website to access the resources and links mentioned in today's episode at digitalnomadcafe.com.